Welcome to the Questionably Qualified podcast covering Game of Thrones. Using only the finest equipment and recorded in the cozy confines of my closet, you won't find quality like this just anywhere. We hope you enjoy it. Alright, let's go ahead and get started with what was probably the most awesome bit that we've seen in a while. And I think that we can all agree that was Danny setting fire to anyone who might have been in her way. That was definitely super cool. I was very wrong. I thought that the dragons were going to come and save her, but um, she instead just went burning Inferno, which was pretty awesome. I agree. I was a little curious, because uh, as soon as she moved her way towards those braziers, I, I thought that um, she would be using them in some way, but I didn't understand how they'd be flammable enough to set fire to everyone in there. So, it was there an accelerant involved in there somewhere? I'm was it wood on the ground? Because um, both uh, my wife and I had the exact same reaction where it was like, what? How did that explode so much? She appeared to pour them on gasoline. Right. Much. I mean, it was like a liquid splashing out there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how she would have snuck an accelerant in there. So I'm not I think maybe that was just cinematography and they're just kind of fudging a little bit or I don't know, maybe it was wood. And, you know, but still, even, like, hot coals on wood wouldn't burn that bad. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure. Cat uh, Cat put forth the suggestion that possibly uh, she had a little bit of help from the uh, Dosh Kaleen, uh counterpart that she had there. But, again, I'm not sure what you could do besides add some sort of liquid there. That makes sense, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I'm with you. I was a little surprised that a dragon didn't come to the rescue particularly Drogon, who we haven't seen since the end of last season. And that, to me, begs the question a little bit of where he is. Um, I feel like he's got to eventually show up. Uh, he, I, I don't know, I, I guess he's just kind of roaming over the plains of, like, or, like, the Dothraki plains, I guess, and just, like, eating whatever. But, I mean, he's obviously going to come back at some point, so. Right. Now, okay, so let's talk about the ramifications of Danny's power move there, which was quite a power move. The the Dothraki culture uh, is one that respects strength above all else, and by killing every one of the calls, because that was every call that was gathered there, mm-hmm. she is now she should have the the obedience of every Dothraki clansman, correct? Yeah, and I mean. Every Dothraki clan was there for the meeting as well, um, and we kind of saw everyone kneel at the end. So it, it, it sort of seems like, um, you know, when she emerged from the fire at the end of season one, but on like this gigantic scale. Right. Um, yeah. And I think I think that the numbers probably bear uh, or beg some some considering here. I know that in the books, since we're doing our reread, the Dothraki horde was estimated to be somewhere around 100,000. Now, it's, it's possible that was a bit of exaggeration on the part of whoever was talking about it. But either way, they are, they are huge numbers of, of mounted warriors that the Dothraki represent. Yeah, I mean, at, least, at minimum 50,000. I mean, I assume much higher than that, like 80, 90, 100. Um and when you can, when you kind of put that in perspective of Westeros, we learned also in that episode that the Boltons are holding the North with five thousand. Right. Admittedly, one armored knight does not equal one Dothraki horse rider. Um, the knight would kill the Dothraki pretty easily because the Dothraki don't have armor. Um, 
but they do have kind of the more Mongol way of doing things, which is sort of, you know, raiding and relying on their horses very heavily. So even if it's not a one-to-one, even if it's not a two-to-one or a three-to-one, Danny has one of, if not the biggest force in Westeros. Yes. Or would if she got there. Right. And if she can get the Dothraki there. We know that they don't like yeah. ships very much. So that's, that's still going to be a, a tough sell. But I think that after her uh, pretty awesome, in the truest sense of the word awesome display, she should be able to talk them into that. Yeah, I mean, they, they basically view her as a god now. At least I assume so. I would pretty much view someone as a god that did that. I mean, I can't really blame the Dothraki for that. Um, there is one kind of interesting thing about the scene that I wanted to discuss, and that's that Danny really likes to kill people, doesn't she? She had quite a smile on her face when she was doing that. Yeah, and we have that. We have when she nailed like the 300 masters to the um to the like to spikes and marine she basically crucified 300 people when she got to marine because of what they did to 300 slaves which is an interesting way to go about it i mean she seems very kind of pro killing and pro torture in an interesting way it's very um, old testament yeah when when you when you kind of look at that in comparison to john who we've seen in other episodes. He, I mean, he has killed people. He killed Jano Slint. Mm-hmm. He killed um, the four conspirers, mm-hmm. um, your conspirators, even though I do think he got stabbed by more than four people, so I'm not sure exactly how he decided which ones he was going to kill. Might have been some um, leniency, yeah. <laughs> but um, he doesn't like doing that. Like, it's very, it weighs on him very heavily, and he kind of follows that from his father, Ned, who is... You know, Eddard Stark is kind of viewed as the great lord of the series. Uh, George R. R. Martin obviously set him up to be kind of what a ruler's supposed to be. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that Danny's going to be a bad guy by the end of this, by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think it's interesting that she seems to like killing so much, especially when we know that her father was a raving madman and we know that her brother was a raving madman. And we know that many Targaryens were raving madmen or mad people. Um, yes, it seems like you you need some of the the advisors to be tempering that sort of bloodlust if she's going to be an effective ruler, not just an effective conqueror. Yes, um, I mean Robert was really good at killing people too. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert was super good at conquering a kingdom, and we kind of you know we're doing our reread now and. Everyone can kind of remember season one. Robert was really shitty at ruling a kingdom. Yep. Um, and I'm not saying that Danny's going to be a bad guy or Danny's going to be um, like a shitty ruler. I'm just saying that I don't think, I think it's kind of this interesting point and kind of within the world of George R. R. Martin, I think that it matters. And I think that maybe there will be points kind of as we get closer to the end where Danny becomes less of a clearly good character. And there may be points where she acts in sort of very gray ways. Um, but I mean, that still remains to be seen. Yes, I think you're right. And, and that would, would be fitting quite a bit within George's style of making, you know, making sure there's no clear black and white. There, there are gray areas for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so she will be heading back to Marine now, we assume. And on the way, she will be going somewhat in range of the other free cities, which uh, which kind of brings us to what Tyrion's been working on in Marine. 
Now, he he went with a, a strategy of appeasement, and I, for a minute I, I thought maybe it was actually just a trap for the leaders of those groups, but it didn't take long for me to re- realize that this is Tyrion, you know, and Tyrion is all about the long game. He's not he's not here to seek vengeance on three people. He, he understands that three more people are just going to step up to take their place, and their problems will only get worse. What did you think of the, the negotiation that he did there? I mean, I think he's being sincere. I think he's trying to solve the problem. Um, I really, I enjoyed kind of from like a philosophical and like, you know, socioeconomic point, the the idea that, you know, Westeros doesn't have slavery, but uh, that doesn't mean there's not rich people and poor people. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't mean that my father didn't, you know, take a bunch of money from his commoners and kind of exploit them in a way to get super rich. Um, I, <laughs> I, I thought that that was a kind of a, funny and interesting point that he made um obviously you know get misandry and uh and gray worm to kind of explain why those you know that's a super apples to oranges comparison um but i think he was being sincere i think that you know he knows that they can't just fight the three cities into perpetuity they'll just you know maybe they kind of stave off slavery for five, ten years, but eventually they just get ground into the earth, and Danny's goal isn't to fight a perpetual war on Essos. I think so, too. And I think that, that his approach there was to say, what we need is time. We need time to gather our strength, we need time for Danny to return, and when she gets back, we need to make a move on Westeros, not continue dealing with this slog fest that is Essos. Yeah, um, I I could see that. I mean, you make an interesting point. Maybe she goes back to the cities and just murders everybody, kind of in connection with, like, the, um, you know, Danny's really pro-murder. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe she just goes there and murders the masters and goes to Westeros, but a part of me thinks she's just going to ride on Marine and be like, you know, fuck this continent, basically. Right, right, I agree. And and maybe that's finally the, the you know, piece that has pushed her over the edge to going after what she's been claiming to want all along. I I am interested to see, you know, when she gets back uh, to Marine and she kind of interacts with Tyrion and sees what he's been doing. I'm interested to see her reaction and how Grey Worm and Missandry and, you know, all of the other people of Marine kind of take that. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I don't know if she'll necessarily agree with what Tyrion's doing. Danny's never been a... Uh, nuanced character she she has her opinions and she definitely kind of thinks that there's a right and a wrong and um kind of follows through in that way yes absolutely absolutely um okay so now she'll have she'll have the dothraki horde uh she'll have the unsullied and she'll have i i assume one or more of her dragons we again we're not sure where they are right now but when she goes to westeros i assume that's part of her plan and that that makes her, uh, you know, very dangerous right off the bat. I mean, we know from um, Aegon the Conqueror's Conquest that three dragons plus, like, a fifth of the troops that everyone else has means that not only do you win, but you eviscerate everybody. Yes. Um, yes like, there no was... one came close. <laughs> yes, they mention in the book uh, the Field of Fire, which was one of the later battles in Aegon's War of Conquest. And it was something like being outnumbered, like you said, five to one. 
and it wasn't even a comparable five to one. The five were mostly knights and mounted troops, and the one were mostly kind of enlisted common folk that had joined up with him. And <clears throat> it seemed like it wasn't going to go well for Aegon right, right up until the point that him and his sisters all took to the air on three dragons and set everyone on fire. Yes, and it was so bad that, you know, the king in the north, as opposed to facing it, just knelt. Right. Didn't even fight a war. And basically, following the field of fire, basically every one of the, well, six of the seven kingdoms, because Dorne joins later. Um, but they basically are all like, okay, our bad. You know, yeah. you can be king. Yeah, we'll make peace. That sounds good. Yeah. Okay, uh, so the, the most logical place for her to go in terms of distance would be Dorne, and the only question I have about Dorne is what what would bring us there next? Because we haven't touched it since the first episode. <laughs> well, I'm very glad about that because the first episode was freaking awful. As am I. Um, but I think we see Dorne next, um, you know, be, because armies and people can teleport in the show. Um <laughs> I have a feeling that we might see Dorne show up in King's Landing as the Tyrells show up in King's Landing, because that's how distance works. Yes, yeah, so um, we have had some trouble with that this, this season. And somehow they'd all get there, and, you know, it'll be a surprise, and no one will know. That neither of them will know about the other, like, you know, 20, 30,000 force army moving, and we'll, if that happens, we'll rant, but, you know. That seems kind of in line with what the showrunners think, and it does. It also, does. yeah. So uh, th- that's where I see Dorne next. Um, I think that there's going to be some kind of like three-way clusterfuck in King's Landing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Let's let's go ahead and move to that because there, yeah, there already is a three-way. So that Dorne would add a fourth fourth uh, angle there. So yeah, let's let's go ahead and dive into that a little bit. We had to listen to the High Sparrow tell another story uh, in this episode that I I did my best to follow, but kind of lost track of what he was trying to say. It, it was a parable. Um, he really likes parables. Um, you know, sin bad, God good, or okay. God's good. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he was trying to bring it anywhere, you know, to more relevance than that. But he, we did get a chance to check in on Marjorie and Loris, which I enjoyed. It had been a while since we'd seen them. And I think that, you know, the more I think about it, this episode was pretty great in the st- from the standpoint of uh, female characters that we've seen in disadvant- disadvantageous positions uh, shrugging off the offered help of male characters and being like, no, I'm going to do this myself. We had Danny, yeah. Danny, you know, telling Jorah and Dario, like, mm, your idea is OK. I got I got a better one. And then we have Marjorie going in there to meet her brother, who is looking looking pretty rough. Yeah, is he being tor- he's being tortured, right? I think so. I, I feel like they haven't shown Marjorie getting you know hit with a spoon as much as Cersei was, and I feel like Loras is probably getting it even worse than Cersei was. I hope, considering he was you know a member of the Kingsguard, I hope it's more than getting hit with a spoon. You would think um, that he'd be okay with that. But the way he was crying, I mean, he seems like someone that had been tortured. I mean, like, he not, I mean, he had, like, some physical kind of deterioration, but I kind of wonder if maybe, you know, it's more like of a psychological thing, like sleep deprivation or stuff like that. Yes, I agree. Um, I mean, he seems close to broken. Yeah, and Marjorie's nowhere close. And, 
you know, Marjorie's a super strong character and she's awesome. But I mean, Loris is a pretty powerful guy in his own right. So I just don't think that. Right. You'd think that if they had the same things happening to them, she'd be showing a little more wear. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think he might be going through uh, some, some worse treatment at the hands of the faith there. And so, so we've got the, the Tyrells locked up in there, and this episode finally gave us some, uh, some momentum towards maybe something happening. Uh, it will require a little more teleportation, because as far as I know, the Tyrell army is not uh, mobilized and just sitting right outside of King's Landing. And yeah. if they're planning on putting Cersei on trial in a few days, then the Tyrell army wouldn't get there that fast? No, they, they yeah, Turkey. Cersei's going on trial in a few days, and they said Marjorie's walk was before it, right? Right, yes, so probably in a couple days. Yeah, let's just, we can even call it a week. Sure. Um, the army still doesn't get there. Right, right. But, so unless unless the Queen of Thorns brought her army and they're just sitting outside King's Landing. Yeah, and I mean, they would, I don't think that they would be. I don't think so either. It's expensive to maintain a standing army like that. Yes. Um, it's extremely expensive. I think that, you know, they're probably kind of down in High Garden, or if they were mobilized, they would be kind of in the Riverlands doing the things that we know we knew we know from the books that there were supposedly problems in the Riverlands, but they just right. haven't really yeah, kind of quashing, them since quashing minor since. rebellions and, and stamping out the last of the, the War of the Five Kings. Yeah. Um, so, and if Dorne's going to get there at the same time too, like the teleportation is just off the charts. <laughs> yes. So, so let's say that the Tyrell army does get there in time. Should the Tyrell army march in? Is their plan to basically pull a snatch and grab on Marjorie and Loras, and you know just r- bum rush them, put down any of the faith militant they need to get those two out, and then deal with it from there? I. Th- I think so. I mean, I think that the, that it might be like, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a smash grab. I mean, I think it's going to be like a straight up, like a bunch of knights go in and just start killing everyone. Um, I don't know if it's going to be like that covert, to be entirely honest. Like, I think it could be a massacre. Fair enough. It's kind of what Cersei and the Queen of Thorns have in mind. Okay. And they're going to try to, I mean, which will really make the common folk happy. Um Yes, let's talk about the ramifications of that a little bit. Um, they would they would presumably be fine. The, the faith militant is not particularly dangerous in a battle sense. They aren't wearing armor. They're wielding mostly makeshift weapons. But if you, if you go in there and you kill a bunch of them, and you've already made the common folk of King's Landing very miserable, then the Tyrells and, and the Lannisters both would be kind of living in very hostile territory, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the common folk do kind of look up to the Faith Militant and to the High Sparrow, considering he's kind of this man of the people, like, super, like, kind of the intersection of, like, communism and, like, religious zealotry, which, like, isn't a thing, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of what he, kind of seems to be what he's about, um, I think that that kind of resonates with the common folk and the common folk really like the Trells because the Trells brought them a bunch of food right. after they've been starving for forever. But I don't think that they have that much goodwill. 
I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think the best play, and the question would then be, do, do they have someone uh, savvy enough in King's Landing to help them make this play? Because it would be the one that Littlefinger would make. It would be the one that Varys would make. And that is, if you do that, you better open up the whorehouses, open up the bars, give them a lot of free booze. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you want to get those those free those common folk happy real quick. Because yeah, that is one thing that the Faith Militant has shut down. Yes, is like sort of the the sinning with you know whorehouses and brothels and bars, which you know guys with a bunch of makeshift weapons is really good at doing. Right, you know, shutting down businesses. Yes. Yeah, we're great for that. Or no. Right, and and we know that prohibition was not wildly popular when they tried it here. So I think I think that you you can imagine people would be a little on board with relaxing the laws around around hooch. Mm-hmm. Okay, so speaking of teleporting, um, we're going to go visit our friend Littlefinger, who's definitely covered the most ground of any character in the series, I believe. Maybe Danny, now that she's crossed Essos five or six times. <laughs> but but Littlefinger, particularly last season, was just all over the place. And, and so the last time that we had seen him, he was in King's Landing talking to Cersei near the end of last season. And he sought permission from her. He, he craftily uh, dodged around pledging loyalty to the Lannisters and, and then offered to take the Knights of the Vale north to attack Winterfell. Um, he, had, he had set it up so that the Boltons would no longer be in favor with the Lannisters, and he's planning to go up there with an armed force. It took him a long time to get from there to the Vale, given his other travel plans. But uh, maybe part of it is that he's not, he he didn't actually have a position of authority to order that march, right? Yes. Um, Now that, I mean, that makes sense that he wouldn't have had, that he would have been able to just do it himself. So he had to kind of position himself with Robin. Right. And so he, he gets there. I did love the turnaround. He pulled on poor Lord Royce. I mean, the guy is just way out of his league when it comes to that sort of situation there. And it, it showed, showed quite, quite plainly. Um, but the outcome there is that now the Knights of the Vale are riding north. Yes, they're going to help Sansa and um, Jon Snow, it seems like. So they're, um, they're on the move. Um, I think that, I mean, thinking about geography, um, it would take them a really long time to get to the Wall. Yes. But, but ellipsis, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they got there uh, with the Knights of the Vale and somehow made it through the north without harassment um, and made it through like parts of the Riverlands without harassment. Um, yes, and that I, would be I, that would be the addition to John's force that he needs in order to to threaten Ramsay. Yes, we we kind of touched on this last time that. Uh, he has about what two thousand wildlings, I think. About two thousand, yep. Yeah, and Ramsey has five thousand guys. Um, he's going to need more. The Vale is probably the Vale and Dorne are the two strongest forces left, probably just because they haven't done anything yet. Right, Liza Aaron kept the Vale army pretty much hold up the entire war. Yeah, they haven't fought in any major battle yet. Yes. So, so we've got a large force riding that way. Um, a couple questions I have there. One is, do we do we think that Littlefinger knows that Sansa is no longer at Winterfell? Um, I can't imagine I that Ramsay is publicizing it too much. 
No, I don't. Um, I guess, yeah, he, I guess he probably would not. Little, Littlefinger probably would know, so he would head kind of in the direction of Winterfell and then would, uh, yeah, would go from there. That could be kind of an interesting little wrinkle in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, did he... I'm trying to remember if he if he mentioned knowing. He did not songs. mention it. He did not okay. mention it, yeah. Um, yeah, the only bits they talked about were Lord Royce kind of accusing him of, of lying about his intentions with Sansa, which he is on a different level. He, he is on many levels. He's lying all the time. Um, but as far as I could tell, he didn't seem to, to know he needs to head to the wall instead. Now, in the next episode on, that seems to change, but... We'll, we'll avoid covering that tonight since we'll have all of next week to talk about next week's episode. Yeah, to see if he does in fact teleport with a gigantic army to the wall. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so that would definitely give John the the number of troops he needs. Now the other question is, even even if he does reunite with Sansa before any attack is made against Ramsay Bolton, where do you think that sort of power struggle between John and Littlefinger plays out because Littlefinger is not doing this out of the goodness of his heart. So if he is to lend the troops to John from a military standpoint, which he seems willing to do, he seems willing to admit that he's not a military leader. But what happens? Let's say they they manage to defeat, uh, you know, Ninja Ninja Bolton. What what happens there? I think Sansa's going to kill Littlefinger before this series is over. Ooh. Um, I have, there's some kind of foreshadowing to that in book three. I'm not going to go into it. It involves like a, a snow castle and Robin Aaron. Um, but I think that uh, Sansa's going to kill Littlefinger. I mean, remember that the entire, I mean, Sansa was involved in Ned getting beheaded, which she obviously doesn't feel good about. But Littlefinger was also super involved. Big time. Um, Littlefinger. Um, basically handed, um, basically betrayed Ned, kind of led him to believe that he would get the um, city watch on his side when, in fact, he turned it over to the Lannisters. And because of that, Ned got captured and then ultimately was beheaded. I don't know how Sansa's going to figure it out, but, I, I mean, Littlefinger's just been such a dick this whole series. I mean, he's been kind of scheming and, like, cool in that way, and it's, like, been fascinating to watch him work. But I think he's going to get what's coming to him. And I think Sansa's going to kill him. That is, I, I would love to see that. That'd be fantastic. And Sansa to that point has become uh, action Sansa, which I really love. Oh yeah. Her little speech to John, which was like, listen, dude, um, I'm going to take back Winterfell. Like I'd appreciate it if you'd quit being a pussy and help me. <laughs> um, I really, I really enjoyed that. Yes, I did too. I did too. And I think John, I think John now is kind of getting it from all angles. Cause Davos kind of gave him, uh, I like Davos's pep talk a couple episodes ago. That was pretty fantastic, also. Um, which is, you know, kind of stop complaining. What, what are you going to do about it? All you can do is keep keep fighting people that are bad. Um, and so, yeah, Action Sans is fantastic. She seems to finally be kind of taking taking the lead on what's happening to her, which is great. Um, well, while we're at the wall, I do. This is a complete aside, but I loved Ed and John's debate. Because it, it was a debate about statutory interpretation, and as a lawyer, <laughs> I really enjoyed that because John was like, I promised to give my life to the Night's Watch, and I did that. I was killed. And then Ed's like, no, you also promised to like fight for the Night's Watch for all the nights to come, 
and like you still got some nights left, bro. Um, <laughs> and they kind of reached like this impasse, but I thought that it was like a hilarious. I mean, it was pretty great. It was, it was a hilarious moment. But the lawyer and me enjoyed that these two guys were. I mean, not they were. They were debating over this statutory interpretation of their oath. Yeah, like little technicality though, man. We got to talk about this real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and of course, John knows as well as anyone, Ed mentioned that they were at hard home. He knows as well as anyone that they have another threat to worry about north of the wall. So after he finishes um, going south, and if they are victorious against Ramsey Bolton, I'm guessing he turns his head back north and says, you know, hey, we've got these troops and now we could use some help fighting this supernatural force that's causing all these problems. Yeah, I fully expect Jon Snow to just kill the hell out of Ramsey Bolton. That would be um, excellent. Do you think he's going to be the one to do it? I hope so. I'm not entirely sure. Um, Ramsey's uh, apparently impossible to assassinate, so it's going to have to happen in battle. Um, he does seem to be. And, and I, I would like to talk about that real quick, because while it wasn't a particularly intelligent assassination attempt, it was a bit clumsy. It was super dumb, is the phrase you're looking for. Yeah, super dumb is actually a great way to describe it. We have seen comparably powerful characters undone in much stupider ways. So, I, I, I'm not... Watching that scene, I wasn't expecting her to succeed in assassinating Ramsey Bolton. But watching him quite easily get his way out of it was frustrating again. Um, we learned in, I think this was season four, when Yara, book Asha, um, tries to get, tries to break Theon out of uh, prison. Yes. And uh, Yara, for, you know, non-book readers, um, or people that didn't just pick up like little like hints in the show, she's really good at throwing axes at things. Um, in fact, like most of the Iron Men are. Um, it's kind of one of the ways that they raid, like, and Ramsey was standing there without a shirt on, um, and no armor. <laughs> and there was like 10 Iron Men there. Like what should have happened there was he got four axes embedded into his <laughs> chest, um, is, what, is how that should have ended. So he apparently has some sort of kind of magical non-assassination powers. He does seem to, which, which will make it a little bit difficult. Um, but, but John, of course, you know. He, I don't think John would go for an assassination at this point. I think he's going straight for just, I'm going to disarm you and stab you right through the chest. Yeah, I do think that he, I think he'll be killed in battle. I hope it's John. I think that would be super cool. That would be excellent. Um, it'll, I wonder if Ramsey would like ride into battle with like two daggers, which <laughs> seems to be like his fighting, which would just be like super dumb and would drive me insane. But um, <laughs> I feel like he probably will. <laughs> that would be pretty great. Um, okay, so let's say let's say that Littlefinger's uh, army, maybe he's not able to teleport his entire army with him at the same time. You know, maybe there's some some number of casts per day you can do with that that particular spell. Um, if that's the case, where where else do John and Sansa find the additions to their army? Because, like we said, they need they need more. Um, I, I guess there's kind of three options here. One would be the Northern Clans, which I, I have a feeling they're just not going to do that. Um, but, you know, in the book, you kind of Stannis before he kind of he, he kind of like um, collects up these Northern Clans that have been involved in uh, the conflict to this date. And um, 
you know, that reinforces his strength. John could do that. I think the more likely candidates are still like kind of the umbers and presumptively demand release. Um, I'm using that word presumptively kind of a little more like liberally. I don't know. They have to be involved, but I'm kind of wondering why they're not yet. Their, their failure to appear is certainly disappointing. Yeah, so, uh, but but I feel like the Umbers and the Manderleys would have forces. I mean, if the book Manderleys are to be believed, then the Manderley and Bolton only has 50 or 5,000 men. The Manderleys have many, many more men than yes. them. Yes, yes. And um, it, would be, it would be great to get them involved. And, and this is also assuming, like, I think we both agree that the Umbers are not actually allied with Ramsey. I agree. I mean, the fact that that stupid, I mean, that suicide or that um, assassination attempt was just so bad that, like, suicide attempt is actually he, probably a fair description. Even though he successfully they, committed suicide on Ramsey's knife, even though that they, you know, brought um, OSHA there, that like miserable attempt almost made me think that it's less likely that the Umbers are on, um, you know, are not with the Boltons, as in like. You'd hope that if they were with the Boltons and or if they were, you know, with the Starks and like kind of supporting Rickon, they'd have some better plan than that. Um, but I, I still think it's like a five percent chance that the Umbers are actually kind of supporting Ramsey Bolton. That's fair, and it, it seems likely that even if they are temporarily supporting Ramsey Bolton, the arrival of John and Sansa would probably help convince him to change on that. As we know, he did not swear any sort of vows to Ramsey whatsoever. No, he did not, which, I mean, that that all just cuts to me that the Umbers are on kind of the side of the Starks, and they'd be on the side of Rickon, and they'd be on the side of John and Sansa. <laughs> I just really hope they had something else planned besides that. <laughs> yes, that would be good. That would be good. So so speaking of Rickon, how comfortable do you feel with his position? Do you think he is going to slowly follow the Theon route of losing pieces? Or do you think that he'll be mostly okay until events develop further? It would be exponentially stupider than raping Sansa was to flay or harm Rickon. Or to leave marks on him in some way that people would notice. To do what he did to Theon to Rickon would be exponentially stupider than torturing Sansa was... And torturing and raping Sansa was really fucking dumb of Ramsey Bolton. Right. And, and I, I think I, if, if there's any sort of visible harm done to Rickon, it would make it it would make it impossible to gather any further support in the North. It's, and not just that, the, I mean, presumptively, the Boltons kind of get that there's other houses involved. It would also, I mean, he's attached to the Riverlands. Um, his mother was Catelyn Stark, or Catelyn Stark, formerly Catelyn Tully, of the Tullys who run the Riverlands. Um, he is kind of tangentially attached to the Vale of Arryn, kind of through Liza, mm-hmm. who is also a Tully. Um, so, and kind of no one's pro-child torture. Right. Um, I mean, we already know that he has upset the Lannisters as well, so it's not like the Lannisters are going to be helping him out. Yeah, it, it just would be 
monumentally stupid. I agree. And unfortunately, in the world they're in, he gets off a little easier with the treatment of Sansa because there's the very old school mindset of, well, they are married, so... Eh. Yeah, I mean, they are married and, like, not to be, like, overly vulgar, but a lot of these guys in this world did marry, were, like, 20, 25 and married 13-year-olds, you know? Yes, I'm it's sure a very disturbing brides, situation that, in many ways, they're... Yeah, and I'm sure that their brides weren't precisely eager for the situation, but to start torturing the heir of Winterfell, the, you know, um, not as like, you know, your bride in kind of your, um, you know, your marital bed, but to just torture like a boy just seems um, like it would be so much worse and it would be insane. So, I, I mean, I imagine he's just kind of, I mean, if Ramsey was intelligent at all, he would be keeping him in like nice accommodations in a nice room just under guard. Right. Um, but, you know. Yeah, and I, I, that does that does bring up one more one. I, I want to revisit this point just because I haven't seen the effects of it yet, and it's it's bothering me. It seems like no one is perturbed by the sudden disappearance of Roos, his wife, and his newly born child. Yeah, they all, I guess, know that Ramsey committed kinslaying times three. And killed his liege lord, and they don't care about it. Which, which because kind of makes it sound like the, the one theory we had that would explain being able to hold troops after an event like that is that the Boltons are just stocked with a bunch of nutjobs. That it seems like a really far stretch. I mean, Roose Bolton was an insane person, but he still. I mean, that's real. I mean, that's really fucked up. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's, just, it's hard to feed a woman and her newly born child to dogs and and not kind of you know ruffle some feathers. Um. Yeah. So, but but I mean, at this point, people have to know, right? I mean, we're like two episodes past when that happened. I would think so. I would certainly think so. And and yeah, you'd be maybe he's telling them that they're sick, and everyone's just like, oh, I guess they're confined to quarters. Yeah, I mean, they haven't addressed that, though, so I feel, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what's happening, but I feel like it's probably just common knowledge. Uh, fair enough. That, that's disappointing, given given how that sort of thing is treated by other people, but... Um, okay, so, uh, the, other, the other little piece that I wanted to cover in the North um, is that I personally had a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling when I saw John and Sansa get, get back together, uh, just because it didn't really hit me until that moment... But we haven't seen, I mean, we saw Bran and Rickon together, but out of the older children, we haven't seen any of them see each other since Arya left King's Landing, maybe? I don't think any of them have seen each other since Ned died. I think the last time any of them saw each other was before Ned died. That's wild. That's a long time. Yeah. Because Bran, I mean, excluding Bran and Rickon, because they're clearly out, um... No, I mean, clearly Rob didn't see anyone or one of his sisters would have been back with him and kind of mm-hmm. had some protection until they got murdered at the Red Wedding. Um, yeah, since Ned died. That's crazy. Be- I mean, 
some peer, some you know small interval of time before then. Right. Yeah. That was that was a very nice moment seeing them seeing them kind of see each other and then the the nice hug afterwards. Um. So so yeah. Now we've got Sansa motivating John on, which is really fantastic. I really enjoyed that. And we the one other piece in that scene, they they kind of uh, alluded to the book uh, with the letter that arrived. And the, the circumstances are obviously a little bit different just because Sansa isn't at the wall in the book. But the letter was essentially the same, right? Yeah, I mean, it contained all of, you know, the same pieces. I have Rick and Stark. Um, I'm, uh, I, I rule the North now. Respect me. The one difference was you need to send me Sansa Stark, my bride, mm-hmm. or I will, you know, come North and just destroy everything you know, the entire night's watch. And so with that message, it, it would seem to benefit John to try to draw Ramsey out of Winterfell, right? I mean, I assume so. I assume that regardless of how many troops he has, he's going to try to get Ramsey out of Winterfell. And Ramsey seems like the kind of idiot that would do it. It does seem like you'd be able to provoke him. I also enjoyed the bit where Ramsey was mentioning uh, his hounds. And I just thought, you know, John's got got one big old dog for you too and uh yeah i would i, I would uh take i would take ghost over the hounds i would um, while, we're, <laughs> while we're talking about john and sansa i do really enjoy sansa's new sort of stance on existence um how would you describe she, it well she kind of told john to quit being such a pussy and to um take winterfell with her because she was going to do it and um i i like this sansa when you think about her arc, you know, in season one, book one, her entire like, oh my god, those chapters, man. I don't know if you've had one re- read. Oh, yeah, I have. Re-read. Yeah, when she's uh, when she's just sending her family down the river most of the book. Yeah, and like, like oh my god, Joffrey's so great. Look at his golden hair. Why is everyone so mean? And why don't <laughs> they love Joffrey like I do? Like that's literally the entire first book for Sansa until the end when like her father died. When like Joffrey kills her father. And she's trapped in King's Landing, and then she's like, "Wait, what just happened?" Yes. Um, and now she's basically like ordering John to go attack Winterfell, and that's just super cool. I agree. I agree. It's like it's like she finally got pushed over the last the last bit of the line, and she she just you know she's not going to take it anymore, and it's it's fantastic. It's, um, it, it's I really like it because for the first time, and it's something I've been waiting for in the books. Sansa finally has autonomy for the first time. I mean, when you really think about it, Sansa has not had autonomy in the entire books. No, the, the entire, entire her entire stretch in King's Landing, she was either uh, engaged to Joffrey or married to Tyrion, and in both cases, she was confined to the Red Keep. And then, then she was completely dependent on Littlefinger. Right. Then she was in the custody um, and married to... Um, Ramsey Bolton, and even like if we go back to the beginning of book one, I don't know she she wanted to marry Joffrey, but she was basic, you know, she was a 13 year old daughter. Promise to. I think she's she's 11 11 in the books, actually. 11. Yeah, daughter of, you know, the Lord of Winterfell, and the king said, oh, my son's going to marry your daughter. Right. Which meant, you know, regardless of what she wanted. Um, So it's kind of the first moment that she actually is, you know, kind of commanding and kind of can make her own decisions. And I really like what she did with it. Yes. I was, I was extremely excited with the way she stepped up to the plate there. 
Um, also at the wall, we have Davos and Melisandre. They have a brief interaction with Brienne. I, other than confirming that Stannis is dead, anything, anything into what, where do we think Melisandre and Davos, are they just going wherever John goes? Yeah, I think they're on the, I mean, Melisandre's clearly on the side of, um, Davos or of John. Um, I assume Davos is now that, you know, Stannis, who was his Lord is dead. I think that that was confirmation that Stannis is dead. I was, honestly, I did not think he was going to be, but I now think that Stannis is firmly dead after that kind of interaction. Um, so I, yeah, I think they're, I think that Davos will just kind of either that or he'll join the Night's Watch. That's very interesting. And, and other than, um, other than Gendry, I think that means that there's no Baratheons left living. Um, well, Tom is technically a Baratheon. Um, Supposedly a Baratheon. <laughs> yeah, he's the, I mean, he's, uh, both of his parents are Lannisters, but his name is Tom and Baratheon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess Marjorie's Baratheon now, too. Um, right. She's now, she would be now Marjorie Baratheon. Right. Um, but no, G- Gentry is the only actual Baratheon left. That's, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Um, okay, so do we need to cover? Do we need to cover the Iron Islands at all? I don't think that. I mean, all we know is that Theon's helping Yara now, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it was a cool scene. It was um, Theon's kind of redemption moment when he was, you know, telling Yara like, "No, I'm not going to rule this place like you should." It was like a cool redemption moment for him. But um, I mean, nothing interesting happened there. There's going to be a king's mood soon. I really hope. I really, really hope it's not the only thing we get for a whole episode because then we're going to get a lot of Iron Islands parliamentary procedure in one episode. And, um, that would be a bit much. It would be a lot to handle. I I remember the chapters in the books. They stood out as exciting relative to the rest of the content of books four and five. But I, they, I, I don't think that... I don't think they translate well to TV or were actually exciting at all. I think it was just during a particularly down stretch. Yeah, they were exciting compared to, like, the Danfears chapters, because those, like, as opposed to the King's Mood, which is, you know, which was parliamentary procedure for the Iron Islands, the Danfears chapters were a lot of, like, religious practices of the Iron Islands. Like, it, that whole thing was, like, weird chapters, but... Yeah, it wasn't particularly stimulating to read about the damp hair uh, drowning people and then giving them CPR. <laughs> it's like two whole fucking chapters of it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, th- that's got to be coming up now soon. Or maybe they're going to, you know, because you have Euron there and you have Yara there, and those are the two main mm-hmm. candidates at this point, right? Right. Like, Yara's right. Like, Theon, even if he wanted to run, he's not a candidate for the to. So for people that don't, you know, kind of... We're, we're not really spoiling anything here. The Iron Islands is actually kind of democratic in the way that they elect things. Um, you have to, like, convince people. They have a king's moot and all the lords and commanders of the Iron Islands come up. And, you know, people give speeches. And um, then basically, like, someone is more or less elected. I mean... Family lineage, it, it seems, matters a lot. Yeah, it helps. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, you kind of get the impression that um, the Greyjoys have kind you know, it, it might be like a mostly family Greyjoy thing, but, you know. Right, just, well, what, what's it, happened from what I read is that 
they used to have a king's moot every time a leader died. Then with the Greyjoys, after kind of running it for a while, they began foregoing the king's moot as, as kind of like a matter mm-hmm. of formality. And now with the Dampair kind of rising back to power and bringing the religious uh, fanaticism back with him, they're turning back to the old ways, which is holding a king's moot now that the king is dead. Plus, like, clearly Theon can't do it. <laughs> right. Like, uh, and I think broken. everyone in the Iron Islands is aware that he both literally and figuratively has no balls left. Yeah, I mean, he is he is a broken human being. Yes. Um, okay, so the, the last thing, we have a little bit of extra time here, so I want to touch on the the impending trial in King's Landing. And we know that Cersei is going to be represent, represented by the Zombie Mountain, mm-hmm. which is a very formidable foe. Uh, he was he was beaten by the Viper before the Red Viper got a little too cocky. Um, but now he wouldn't even go down from those sort of injuries, I don't think. No, he now seems stronger um, than he was before um, he went to, before you know he kind of was injured and. You know, he's been either resurrected or kept alive via some really weird kind of magical means. Uh, yeah, I think that he is definitely current iteration of the mountain. Zombie mountain would kick the shit out of regular mountain. Agreed. Agreed. So we're going we're gonna to avoid getting into any of the theories about who he may or may not face. I, I find them very interesting, but I don't want to ruin any, anything for anyone. Um, yeah, so I, 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 for anyone that knows what we're talking about, I completely think that's what's going to happen, and um, I don't want to spoil the surprise for people that don't know. So without getting into that theory, I think that we can safely say no one we've seen associated with the Faith Militant thus far would stand a chance, right? No. I mean, one side theory that I've had, um, and there's not like any evidence for this, and I don't think that this is a spoiler— um, because we don't know what's going to happen, and it's kind of an out-there theory, is that, you know, you, you know how, you know, George and the books kind of turn fantasy tropes on their head? Yes. I could see Lancel Lannister trying to do it, um, kind of as, like, the... A David versus you know, Goliath? Yeah, and, like, the formerly corrupt knight that then finds faith... And then it's like strengthened through his faith and takes on someone that he never could have done before. It, it just kind of feels like something out of a crappy fantasy book. Um, and what would happen, and if that's what happened, um, he would be ripped in half in about <laughs> eight seconds. That would be kind of enjoyable. Now, now what, about, what about this? What if the High Sparrow steps in and goes about boring the zombie mountain to death? <laughs> if, if the High Sparrow can actually fight um, and just uses parables to just, you know, put the zombie mountain to sleep and then just, like, slits his throat. Yes. Um, you know, it's 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 not impossible. I think that I think that there's going to be some third party that the Faith Militant calls in. I think so, that's, too. I think so, and too. And that's that. what I'll say. I'm excited for that reveal when we do get to that point. Even if, even if that theory is incorrect, I'm still excited to see who it is, because I would think that it's got to be someone formidable to make it an interesting matchup. Yeah, it's got to be a name that we know, and, you know, it's not going to be, like, insert random knight 2, who just happens to be able to at least give Frank and Gregor a fight. Right. Um, 
So I think it's either going to be that or kind of the turning a trope on its head. And maybe it's not Lancel, but maybe it's someone else and kind of that where, you know, it feels like it's this redemption arc and then the dude just gets his head ripped off. That would be pretty great. And it would be very much classic George to do that sort of thing. Yeah, it would be a hilarious scene. I would really like it. I would too. I would too. Okay, so before we go, let's uh, let's cover some quick shots at the end of this, like I like to. Um, we're going to start out with, does Jamie wield a sword this season? Like, actually in battle? Yes. I hope not. Um, I th- I, I, I'm going to say yes, though, but I hope not. The show's been... Jamie's a lot more ambidextrous in the show than he is in the books. <laughs> that, that's what I'll say. I mean, in like Dorne, where he ran into the Sand Snakes and didn't, and like kind of held his own for like a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think he'll wield a sword this season. I don't know when, um, but I do think there's going to be this kind of intersection of forces in King's Landing. And as I've said before, I, I do think that that might end with kind of King's Landing burning to the ground. But I think that at some point in that, Jamie will fight something. Okay. Okay. That's I, I would like to see him fight. I would, I would like to see some bit of training before he does so, but I don't know if they have time for that. So, well, he can always have a montage. That's true. We've we seen learned, that work. As we've learned from Arya, you can um, use montages to speed up training. That's true. It's, it's kind of like teleporting. I think that there is, they've just kind of added a lot of time hastening things to the story at this point, which <laughs> again, I mean, I, I've decided that the best approach for us to take uh, I'm really ruining the quick shot here by going off on a tangent. But the best approach for us to take is just divorce your book self from your show self and enjoy the ride. Because the the, the show is straight up solving most of the complaints I had of the books four and five. Yeah, we, and this is the problem is that, you know, we're complaining or we're making fun of the teleporting and the montaging. But that would be like six 50 page or like six, like 20 page chapters in George R. R. Martin's books. Yes. About like, the inns they stop at and the bad food they eat and the way the horses know, are riding and things of that nature. And, you know, they'd run into a traveler on the road and he would tell some really sad story. that would be kind of interesting. And maybe and has a of, bit of a gem in it that has to do with a larger storyline somewhere. Yeah. Um, but, it would be very, I mean, we just described books four and five, um, <laughs> but so yeah, I, I do, I feel like they know what they're doing, that it's a little ridiculous, but they're just kind of like, we can't do the alternative. I agree. And I, and like I said, I, I enjoy it if I can just shut that little book part of my brain off. Um, okay. So uh, next quick shot is Arya's next kill on Essos or Westeros? Essos. I think she has one on Essos before she gets to Westeros. Okay. I don't, and, okay. I don't think she gets to Westeros till the end of the season, and I think that we're going to have some Arya before then. Okay, and a follow-up on that. When when Arya does get to Westeros, do you think it will be as a rogue agent, or do you think it will be on orders of the Faceless Men? I think the latter, um, but I think that... I think she'll become a rogue agent not long after. Okay, I like that. Okay, and the last one, which may be the most important question of all, and possibly even the key to the ending of the series, do Tormund and Brienne get it on? Oh, for sure. Tormund was eye-fucking the living hell out of Brienne. 
and Bran was all about it. I, I think, think she was it, too. I'm, I'm for sure, yeah, unquestionably. And I don't blame her. Tormund, Tormund is quite the man and quite the charmer. And we know how wildlings like women that can fight. Yes, I mean, and, and let's let's get real. The the offspring of that relationship would be devastating on the battlefield. Yeah, I mean, I would. I'm that person is you know if there was Vegas, they're an early favorites for Kingsguard. <laughs> Absolutely. If you, could, bet on, if Absolutely. you could invest in children, which is um, something that sounds really terrible, and I lived in Westeros, I would invest in that child stock. I'd be right there um, with you, man. We would probably bet a lot of money on things like that in Westeros. <laughs> I think that's a good note to end on. I think that that's a good <laughs> yeah. Place I think to stop that investing and betting on the future of children um, <laughs> is definitely kind of a good way to kind of wrap this up. Perfect. All right, buddy. Um, have a good week, and I'll catch you next week for some more Game of Thrones talk. Okay. Have a good one, my friend. Mm-hmm.